The first Bible reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, it's at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the, and gathered wa- the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, 
and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Praise be to the reading. The second reading is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, reading from verses 1 to 14. This can be found on page 1109 of your Pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came with the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. So thank you very much for the welcome to uh, Wendy and myself. And it's uh, really wonderful to be among you again. This morning, I was just uh, talking to Adam before the service at the front door there and remembering that it was his father-in-law when I was in boarding school who supported the boarders, the boys, all rising up at 7 o'clock every morning, running seven or eight laps of the oval, uh, coming into cold showers uh, before breakfast 
Um, that was the way it was in those days, but um, I'm sure it did us all uh, much good. But um, it's, it's good to be among you again. I'd like to uh, start with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and your word again. We thank you that it is your living word. And we pray, Lord, that as we um, hear it explained and applied, that you will work in our lives and bring us to Jesus, direct us to him, as the only saviour. And Lord, we ask this for your glory and for your honour. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about um, Abednego Thompson. He was a uh, man born in England in Nottingham in 1811. His mother had 18 children before he arrived and uh, he arrived as the last one of triplets. So he was number 21 of uh, his family. And uh, so the triplets were called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego after the three men that went into the uh, burning fiery furnace in Babylon. Um, he was... A very strong, became a very strong young man, what we would call the wild ass of a man, actually, and uh, worked in the workhouses with his mother. His father died quite early, and uh, he took up boxing to earn a living, which was illegal. And he made a lot of money boxing. He became the champion of uh, Britain, without gloves, of course, in those days. And sometimes they'd fight for 50, 60, up to 90 rounds of boxing before uh, the opponent dropped. And that was how he fought. And he used to boast, before he became a Christian, and this is the wonderful part of the story, he used to boast that in all the fights he'd had, and uh, he'd never really been defeated, and he even beat the American champion that they sent over to take him on, in all the fights he'd had, he'd never had a black eye or a blood nose. He was such a, a dodger. But when he gave up boxing, um, for various reasons, mostly for age, um, they appointed him to Oxford University to train the young men in the art. And the only way they could get him onto the campus was to uh, make him a professor. So he became a professor at Oxford in order to teach the young men how to box. But uh, he was in and out of jail so much and uh, reform institutions so much that he began to hear the gospel from the chaplains. And on one famous occasion, when the chaplain started to preach on the story of uh, David and Goliath, he called out, I hope the little one's going to beat the big one. And, uh, of course, he was, he was quite... Illiterate. He'd never been taught to read or write. But little by little, he heard the gospel and he was converted, wonderfully converted. And he became an evangelist. And sometimes 10,000 people came to hear him preach. And many, many people came to the Lord. When he died after an accident, 
Um, there was a funeral procession street wide and a mile long and his story was written up in the Times of London rather unusual for a man of his background but I tell you this because his name Abednego Thompson uh, because they couldn't pronounce it properly eventually became Abendigo Thompson and then Bendigo Thompson and that's how he was known for most of his life he was a Southpaw. But then we come to Australia and uh, Ravenswood up in central Victoria where gold was found. And uh, there was a boxer on the gold fields who was a shepherd on the Ravenswood shepherd station, sheep station. And he became a boxer. He was one of the champions of the gold fields. And they nicknamed him Bendigo because many of the people, the men that had come to mine gold, uh, had been with Bendigo Thompson in England and they knew all about him. And so they nicknamed this boxer on the gold fields Bendigo. And he had a gully there where he had his claim, which was called Bendigo's Gully. And of course, eventually the name came to the town and the city itself of Bendigo. And that all goes back to this man in England who was a very wonderful Christian man after a very torrid life. Now I tell you all this because um, John the Apostle started out in a very similar way. And uh, he finished up in the same way by the grace of God like Bendigo Thompson. He became the Apostle of Love as we know. Jesus nicknamed uh, John and James, the brothers, Boanerges, sons of thunder, because clearly they started out fiery and hot-tempered. They were the tough men of Galilee, the fishermen. Maybe even thugs, we don't know, but they, they were from a pretty rough background to be given names like that. But with the change that came with knowing Jesus, John became the apostle of love. He was a fisherman who immediately on the spot left his boat and his nets and his father and his industry and followed Jesus when he called him. John was also an uneducated man. Acts 4 tells us that when the elders of the Jews saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marvelled and they realised that they'd been with Jesus. John was uneducated and untrained with no theological degree or certificate but he wrote this amazing gospel with its deep theology and insights into the life of Jesus. Because he'd been with Jesus. In our day, it would be like giving the job of writing the textbook on nuclear physics for the first three years at university to a Mallee wheat farmer who'd never gone beyond primary school. That's the equivalent of what's happened here with John writing this gospel. He'd been trained because he'd been with Jesus. And because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, in the writing of the text. 
in uh, one of the five books that he wrote in the New Testament, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He wrote from experience. And this must be true of you and I. We can only witness to that which we have experienced. If our experience is what I call churchianity only, then our witness will be nothing. It will be zero. John is one of four Gospels, as you know. Matthew's Gospel concentrates on Jesus as the King. Mark's Gospel concentrates on Jesus as the servant. Luke's Gospel concentrates on Jesus as the man. And John's Gospel here, in its beginning and right through, concentrates on Jesus as God, his deity. Now, it's inspiring to me that in John's revelation in chapter 4, and also in Ezekiel's vision of chapter 1, there are living creatures. And these living creatures each have four faces. The face of a lion, which is the king of the beasts, and perhaps pointing to the revelation of Jesus' person, as we see it in Matthew's gospel. The face of an ox, which is the beast of burden, the servant animal, perhaps pointing to the revelation of Jesus' person in Mark's gospel. The face of a man, clearly pointing to the revelation of Jesus' person in his manhood, as we see it in Luke's gospel. And then the face of an eagle, the bird that soars into the heavens, and therefore pointing to the revelation of Jesus' person as God. And these all shown forth in the four Gospels, aspects of Jesus' person. And another signal to me that this truly is the word of God that we have before us. Seven of Jesus' greatest miracles are found in John's Gospel. And they all show forth his mighty power, revealing him to be God. The water into wine, the nobleman's son healed at a distance, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, who'd been lame for 38 years, the feeding of the 5,000, the woman taken in adultery, where Jesus' knowledge of the hearts and minds of all those present was revealed, the man born blind, and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then all the I am's of John's gospel, to reveal to us his deity, seven of them, in fact, in John's Gospel. Jesus said, among those seven, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And I want to just point out in these first 13 verses, anyway, of chapter 1, Four truths, four things that are said to be true about Jesus and his word. And the first one is in the first two verses that Jesus is the true God. In the beginning was the word, and we think of that reading in uh, Genesis, 
And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He is truly God, to put it another way. So here we have Jesus revealed before he became flesh, before he became a man, as we're told in verse 14. Jesus has always been the second person of the Trinity. And this is another great mystery of the faith, of course. Three persons in one eternal being, in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. So Jesus was present at creation. Just think of those words we heard read, let us make man. There's just a hint there, isn't there, of the triune relationship in the Godhead. And these two verses, of course, destroy all the heretics who say that Jesus was only a man or that he became God or that he was a created being or whatever. And there are people around all over the place saying those things. He's always been fully God. In his prayer in John 17, he said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then in verse 24 he says, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So that's the first true, that he is truly God. Secondly, he is the true life. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, which I think is a better translation of that word there, did not overcome it. So here's the work of Christ from the beginning in the work of creation. He animated everything by his life. Human life, animal life, the fish, the birds, the microbes under our feet, the rotation of the earth around the sun, the revolution of the planets around the sun, the rotation of the earth on its axis, the incredible speed with which the billions of galaxies speed through the universe. All these things have been activated by the life that is in Jesus. Now, isn't that mind-boggling? But that's the truth of the matter. That's what we believe as Christians. And that's what God's word tells us. He upholds and he sustains all this, all life and all movement. And this life was the light of men in the sense that reason and conscience were given to us to set us apart from the rest of creation. And as it said there in verse 5, not even man's sin and rebellion and hatred of the light even has been able to extinguish that light. Then thirdly, we have this true light revealed through John the Baptist in verses 6 to 9. Life, first of all, now light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And fourthly, we have the true outcome of all this. And this is where I want to concentrate this morning and really where I want to finish. 
How can all this word be applied to our lives? Because if we hear and don't apply God's word to our lives, it's like a man who is sick and rejects all the doctors and medicines and hospitals and remedies and whatever. We must apply God's word to our lives. And here in verses uh, 9 through to 13 especially, we have the application of these great truths. In verses 9 to 11, it speaks of those who reject. And I trust that your presence today doesn't mean that you have this rejectionist attitude revealed here. Let me read these verses. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But of course you can be rejecting if you determine to come to Christ on your own terms. For instance, as I call it, if you want to be a card-carrying Presbyterian but not truly a Christian. That's coming to Christ on your own terms. And that's rejecting. The world didn't know him, even though he is the source of life and light and reason and conscience. And then verse 11 says, the Jews didn't know him or receive him, even though the law given to Moses should have brought them to Christ. As Paul said to the Galatians, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But now we come to the really true outcome, the desired outcome, if you like, of all these verses, as it is in verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To those who received him, who are the ones who truly believe in him, which is into his character, into his person, into his work, into his death and life for us, because his name is not just a label, as it were, like something written on a jam tin. It refers to his person and work. And we believe into him if we truly believe in him. And these ones receive authority or the right to become his children. And this is really, as we say, this is really where the rubber hits the road for us this morning. Those who truly believe in this way are born a second time, or born of God, we are told here, or born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3. We get, as it were, an honorary BA, born again. We're born once from our mothers and a second time from God, if we're truly to be his children and to be ready for heaven. And according to verses 12 and 13, being born of God is the only true receiving and the only true believing. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3, 
You must be born again. The divine must. You must be born again, he said. My own personal testimony here. I was born from my mother on the 19th of March, 1942 in the Mosgiel nursing home or maternity hospital here in Surrey Hills. So I'm a Surrey Hills boy. This is where I was born in 1942. I don't know what's happened to that hospital now. It's gone, I think. But it was Mosgiel here in Surrey Hills. And I was born again. And this weekend, I'm 50 years old. This weekend. Australia Day weekend, 1963 which is 50 years ago this weekend. Uh, And how appropriate it is for me personally to be here this morning. I was sitting in the front of an old falcon ute up in the Dandenong Ranges, sitting alongside the Reverend Harry Scott Simmons, a missionary from Amy Carmichael's mission in South India. He was counselling me about my need And then he started to read from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as he read God's living word, I experienced washing. I could sense the spirit of God washing me clean inside as he read the scripture. And I later read about the washing of regeneration and the new birth being born again. And I realized only when I got home and started to read the Bible for myself because I got this tremendous thirst to read the Bible for the first time in my life, of course. I realized then that I'd been born again. Born once from my mother here in Surrey Hills. Born again by the Spirit of God in the Dandenongs. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Not of blood. It's not hereditary. It's not by our heritage, if you like. It's not physical, not biological, not because we can trace our lineage to somebody important in the spiritual world. The Jews thought they were okay because they could trace their lineage to Abraham. And it's no good looking up Ancestry.com or whatever. That's not going to help us. Not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, So not by human procreation or the union of a man and a woman. Not by the will of man. So it's not by church decree or government legislation or even personal choice. Just as your physical birth is not by your own personal choice. But of God. At the end of verse 13. So these are the three most important words for us in today's passage by way of application. But of God. And what Jesus said about us having to be born again. Look at Matthew 16 verse 26 and just see how valuable your soul is. It's your soul, according to Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 26, 
is worth more than the whole world. You can own all the real estate in Melbourne, all the real estate in Australia, all the money in all the banks in the world, and it's still not enough to pay for your soul. That's how much it's worth in the sight of God. So you must be born again if you are to be ready for heaven. That's the only true receiving. It's the only true believing. And must means must. Anyone who gets into heaven without being born again will have proven those words to be untrue. And Jesus' words are all true, without a doubt. Desmond Tutu's prayer at the start of every new year is as follows. Stir us, O Lord, to dare boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have become true because we dream too little, when we've arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Launch out into the deep, as Jesus said, and don't take any rest until you are absolutely sure that you've been born of God. Your eternal destiny depends on it. You must be born again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your infinite mercy and your patience with us. With all of us, Lord, over many years, you've patiently dealt with us and We do pray that each one of us here this morning will be found in your heavenly kingdom because of this wonderful work of grace, this work of God in our hearts to save us and to forgive us all our sins and to wash us clean from all our iniquities so that at heaven's gate, you will be able to say, welcome to us. And this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus, and again, Lord, for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is number 397. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come.